Today's reading can be found on page 1681 if you have a large print black Bible, and on page 1086 if you have a regular print red Bible. It's John chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the high priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then a detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your life-changing love. And what we read about in these verses humbles us. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus was ready to go to the cross for us. Help us as we look at these to hear you speaking afresh of your love and your grace this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. And uh, can I say again that if you've joined us Today or recently, we're in a journey looking through a number of encounters with Jesus through John's gospel. Do keep this passage open in front of you. We'll come to it in a moment. During Lent, this journey, encounters with Jesus, takes a little bit of a turn as we uh, journey with Jesus towards the cross. And so today, we are looking at one that might be a little bit of a surprise as we look at Judas. Why look at an example of greed, of financial corruption, of betrayal 
when we could be looking at more encouraging encounters as we have been over the last few weeks and will do. Here's what I have learnt over these last few days as I've been wrestling with this passage and asking Anil, why did you give me this passage to preach on today? I've learnt that in the middle of the story of Judas lies the great hope of the gospel. That at the point of deepest darkness, there is still the light of hope. At the point of greatest, deepest darkness and despair in human history, there is still the light of hope because of the sovereign, unstoppable goodness of God, his great and glorious purposes that we see when we get to the cross. But even now we see hints of that. So that's why. Now, I guess that most of us can remember times of great sadness and grief, maybe from the past, maybe from recent times. I can remember when I was about 10, hearing the story of a a Christian family who we'd enjoyed great hospitality with, great fun. I discovered that this family had been uh, just pulled apart and had broken down. I couldn't understand how that had happened. I can remember a few years ago hearing of a prominent Christian leader who I'd learned a lot from. It caused huge damage as he'd had an affair and fallen spectacularly. Huge grief and pain. How could it happen? I can remember thinking a few years ago of a friend who I had trained with, uh, who I'd studied with, prayed with, learnt with, looked forward to ministry with no longer married, no longer in ministry, and then tragically killed in a car crash. These are just some of the memories that came to me as I was thinking about times of despair and difficulty. Don't worry, I have plenty of happy memories too, an abundance of happy memories. I'm not caught in all those. But why are we taking time to look at Jesus and Judas through this passage and a few others that we'll turn to? Why do we look at Judas? If If the Bible were just full of happy stories with everything going right, then it wouldn't be either very real or very helpful for us. A kind of picture postcard chocolate box Bible is of no help for a broken world, for people with pain and challenge and difficulty to work through. The Bible is not this glossy record. The Bible is real, painfully real and honest. It doesn't gloss over the tragedies and the disasters. It doesn't shrink from the pain. But it shows us that in these we can see both the reality and the extent of sin, our own brokenness, fallenness, our own need of a saviour. But it can also show us the reality of Jesus' victory over sin, that he has fully paid that penalty and that he has broken the power of sin. That's why I'm glad that we're looking at this passage, looking at Judas as he encounters Jesus. We're going to be focusing on this passage, we see the next slide up, just an image of that garden uh, as Jesus was there with his disciples and as Judas brought the soldiers to him. Turn to the passage that we had read, and if you have a look at verse 2, chapter 18 and verse 2, 
you'll see that John says, now Judas who had betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Here's the first thing that we discover as we look at Judas. Judas had the greatest of privileges. But these great privileges are no guarantee of spiritual health. We have the next slide up. Judas was one of the 12. He was one who had been chosen, invited by Jesus to follow him, and he had decided, yes, that he would follow him. Judas had spent plenty of time with Jesus in this particular olive grove that they came to that evening. But that wasn't all. He had seen so much. He'd been given power and authority, power to preach, authority to cast out illness, all along with the other apostles that spent time with Jesus. Three years walking with Jesus, the Son of God on earth. The most amazing privilege. Judas had had that. He had seen the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He'd been there gathering up the crumbs afterwards. He'd seen it. He'd seen Jesus turn water into wine. And he'd heard Jesus call Lazarus back from the dead. Judas had had the most amazing privilege. I'd like you to imagine just for a moment that you were invited to spend three years with a a person of power and influence that you look up to. This is slightly risky to say. Is that a, 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 a politician? Maybe. Is it somebody in royalty? Maybe. Just imagine somebody who you could think, yes, I would love to spend three years with that person of influence and power. Maybe you're struggling to think, uh, who could I happily do that with? But just go with the story for a moment. Imagine that you did that, that you were invited in to their life to see what was happening. And over those three years, you would discover all sorts of things about them. You'd go to the events that they went to. You'd see the great things that they said and the people they helped and the people they inspired and all of that. But you would also obviously discover that they were flawed. Alongside their strengths, you'd see their weakness, their foibles, the ways in which they were less than perfect. But now just track that back to Judas. Judas who had spent three years with Jesus, hearing teaching that was so profound because it came straight from God. Seeing a life that wasn't tarnished by sin. Hearing those words that called people to life, to walking and living in the way that God had planned it to be walked and lived. Have a look to uh, a little bit later in the chapter that we've just read, John chapter 18. And did you see as the soldiers come to Jesus. Jesus knows what is about to happen. And yet he asks, who is it that you want? Three times Jesus replies, I am he. It's there in verse 5. I am he, Jesus said. It's there in verse 6. I am he. And it's there in verse 8. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. Jesus wants them to know that he is fully human, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one that they're looking for. But if we've read John's gospel as we have over the last few weeks, we'll know that those words, I am, are far more than just a descriptor of Jesus of Nazareth. They are the words applied to God. They are the ones who describe God's character. And so Jesus is saying, as well as being the fully human son of God, 
He is the fully divine God walking on earth. And Judas has had the opportunity to see that and to be there. But the greatest privileges are no guarantee of spiritual health. And here's the first warning for us from Judas's encounter with Jesus. Active involvement in ministry, whatever you may be involved in here, that other people may see and think that person's involved. They're no guarantee of spiritual health. Just because we may be doing the ministry, doing the work, doesn't guarantee that we are in a right relationship with Jesus. And that's a warning that I need to hear as much as anyone. Judas was so close to Jesus, and yet we'll see in a moment his heart was so far from loving him and worshipping him and submitting to him. So there's just a first warning for us this morning. Just because we're involved, actively involved, busy in ministry doesn't mean that we're spiritually healthy. Let's look a bit further into Judas's story. Judas had plenty of opportunity to turn. And here's the great truth of the gospel. Nobody is too far from God's mercy. Whatever our past, whatever we're worried about, whatever we're fearful of, if that was discovered, if that were known, no, God knows all that. God is aware of all that. And his love, his forgiveness can reach wherever we are. Just keep your finger in chapter 18 and turn back to John chapter 13. Set some of the background just a few hours earlier to what we're reading in chapter 18. John chapter 13, and I'm going to read in a moment from verse 22. This is the account in John's gospel of the Last Supper. The disciples are gathering with Jesus a bit earlier in that evening to celebrate the Passover meal. And as they do that, they recline. Wouldn't have been their normal practice, but that was what they would do at Passover. That was a sign of their freedom. They'd been rescued from slavery. But they're reclining, and either side of Jesus are two of his disciples, John on one side, and I believe Judas on the other. Let me read from verse 22. Jesus has just said that one of them will betray him. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. So it seems as if the disciples are reclining, enjoying this meal. John, we believe that's the one who is the one closest to Jesus at that point, is able to pass on the message from Simon Peter, who are you referring to? And Judas, it seems, is equally so close to Jesus that he can receive the piece of bread that's just been dipped in the dish. Judas was right there, able to experience the love of the Savior, able to know that Jesus knew what was in his heart. And it's as if he was offering him this chance to turn, not to betray him. But we'll see that, John's, that Judas's pattern has already been set. Instead of choosing to hear Jesus' teaching, to experience his love and to walk in the light, 
that Judas has made a pattern of wrong choices. If you were here last week, you'll have heard some of those. John chapter 12 and verse 6. When he complained about the perfume being poured over Jesus' feet, verse 6, he says, uh, John says, Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And one person commenting on Judas's response here says this, Satan doesn't gain a foothold in the lives of people who are walking in the light with Jesus. He only gains access when we open the door. See, the question is, what decisions are we making day by day that either send us on a path that means we're walking closely with Jesus or send us the other way? What are we opening the door to in our lives? And Judas, it seems, over a period of time, despite being close to Jesus, had opened the door to all sorts of wrong attitudes, particularly towards money, but maybe other things too. His heart had been turned away from a love for Jesus. As that commentator said, Satan only gains access when we open the door. Think about your own home, whether it's a house or a flat or a room. Somebody knocks on the door. You'll check who they are before you let them in. If they're trustworthy and someone you want to see, you will let them in. If they're dangerous, you will keep them out. But let's think about that for a moment, not just as physical people who will come to our house, but the moral issues that we will face day by day. When we face those decisions, who do we open our hearts to? Those decisions about what we will watch on the screens that we have. Will they help us follow Jesus more closely or will they turn us away from him? Those voices that we will listen to, will they help us to honor God and to love him more wholeheartedly or will they turn us away? What we choose to say at work or with our friends, the stories we listen to, the jokes we choose to laugh at. All those sort of things are opportunities for us to open the door to the goodness and greatness of the God who has made us in his image, enabling us to follow him more closely. Or they will be opportunities for us to open our hearts and our minds to things that will turn us away. Judas, I'm convinced, had the opportunity to hear Jesus' words. The road to destruction is broad and easy and many walk in it but you choose the narrow way that path that leads to eternal life Judas would have heard Jesus say that he would have heard Jesus say that you can't serve both God and mammon both God and money and yet as he heard these words he chose a different route he listened to a different voice he opened the door of his heart to a different destiny so what does that mean for us? We have the opportunity to hear Jesus and to make these choices. Maybe it is the issue of money that's one we need to own up to before God and say, Lord, I don't want to be controlled by that, by the decisions around money. I want to be set free from that. I want to have a heart that is fully on fire for you, for God, for Jesus. And if that's where we are today, maybe a step in that direction will be to be generous, to give something away, to break the power that money can have over us. Or maybe it's a moral issue that we know has trapped us and we've taken wrong decisions, wrong direction. So we, again, want to be set free. We want to live the way God would have us 
We want to choose purity of thought, purity of what we read and watch, rather than the stuff that will destroy us. It may be a step is to be open with God about that today and say, I'm wrestling with this. I don't want to go that route that will lead to destruction. I want to choose life. It may be to be open and honest with God. It may be to be open and honest with one another, with somebody else, and to confess to a friend, this has got a grip of me and I want to be set free from it. It may be to pray that God will help us to stand firm with others to make good choices. I know that as a vicar, I am hugely, hugely grateful for the couple of people I meet with a couple of times a year who will always ask me those searching questions. Where is my heart? Where am I in danger of going astray? Where are the, what are the things that I would rather they didn't ask me about? We have the openness to ask, to ask each other those questions. Who are the others close to us? I hope we each have them, maybe in a small group, maybe in an accountability group or a prayer group, so that we can support each other to live the way God wants us to. Judas had the opportunity to turn. He heard the words of life. None of us are too far from God's saving power. None of us are too far from God's mercy. And maybe today's a day to say, I want to choose life. Judas and Jesus finally Two very different outcomes as we look at them. If you're still in John chapter 13, you see at the end of that little section, verse 30 of chapter 13, John paints the picture with such clarity. Judas has made his decision. He is going to betray Jesus. Verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. John is painting a picture of Judas choosing to go a way of darkness and destruction. Judas went out into darkness and it seemed to be a place of no hope. And as we look at the cross, at Jesus' suffering and pain, it would be easy first of all to think about it as defeat. But John has always spoken about the cross being a place where God's glory would be revealed been a theme through John's gospel. It's there at the beginning of chapter 17. Jesus praying as he prepares to go to the cross that God's glory would be revealed. John has always spoken about this. Glory to come. It would be when the Son of Man is lifted up, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Now one person writing about this has said, why did Satan change his strategy? Early in the gospel, Satan was trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. In the temptations, Satan, the devil, was trying to encourage Jesus to take power for himself, and Jesus resisted that. When Simon Peter said to Jesus, you won't go to Jerusalem and die there, that must never happen. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Satan's attempt to take Jesus away from his path of going willingly to the cross had failed. And now it seems he's changed his strategy. He's trying to make it as painful and humiliating as possible for the Son of God as he goes to the cross. And so as we read into the next few chapters, as we'll see over the next few weeks, we plot the path of Jesus' arrest, his humiliation, his desertion by his closest friends. 
It will be a painful and humiliating death, but it will ultimately one that shows the depth of the love of God for a broken world. The determination that God would stop at nothing to rescue us and bring us back into relationship with him. As I was thinking about the the wonder of the cross, my mind went again to the Narnia stories, C.S. Lewis painting the picture in so many ways of the gospel events. And I encourage you, if you've not read them, to read them, whatever age you are, either on your own or read them with a child or whatever, to help you get a fresh insight on the wonder of the gospel. In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, towards the end of it, as the Jesus figure, Aslan, is being humiliated before the white witch, the person of great evil. We read words that explain what was going on as Aslan had been humiliated and was allowing himself to be tied to the cross, a greater victory was being won. And in explanation of this event, Aslan speaks words to the children who were following, explaining what had happened. Because that chapter of Aslan's defeat didn't end at that point, where we discover that a victory was won as he gave himself willingly. C.S. Lewis writes this, Aslan speaking says, it means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, then the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. A wonderful picture of the victory of the cross. We see that although Judas went out into the darkness to his own defeat and destruction, Jesus gave himself willingly so that the power of death could be broken so that we could know that every sin was fully paid for and that we could walk in the freedom and victory that Jesus has won for us. My hope is that each of us today will have a fresh sense of wonder at God's plan of salvation. That even though Judas was ready to betray Jesus, all that did was feed into God's plan of rescue, God's great plan of rescue. God's purpose of enabling us to come back into a right, fully forgiven relationship with him. What wonderful freedom. As we sung earlier, oh the night has been won and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you today that you went to the cross willingly for us and that you won there a great eternal victory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that not even the betrayal of Judas stopped you, but it only enabled this greater act of love. And we pray that today we will choose to live 
our lives in the light of that victory. We will choose to walk in that victory. We will choose to follow you gladly. Help us to know the reality of our sin forgiven. Help us to know the reality of the victory that you have won. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great that now we can turn to remember Jesus' death, but before we do that, let's stand and sing together.